Verdadores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. At the end of each episode, I will be checking in with psychologist and fellow dad Todd Kettner as he shares his insights into parenthood. My name is Blue, and I am a Dad Without Borders. Today I'm talking to Asif, who is originally from Tanzania, being raised in an Indian family, but at the age of seven he lost his father, and his family moved to Vancouver in Western Canada. As a tech worker, Asif has recently relocated from Toronto to the mountain town of Nelson in Western Canada, and it was interesting to hear of his experience being raised by a resilient and dedicated single mum and talking about his perspective on being a dad um, later in life. Becoming a dad in his 40s, Asif very much stumbled into his career, but has consciously stepped into parenting. And with this really interesting backstory of having no male role model growing up, it was really great to hear of Asif's experience of being a dad. Please enjoy. Hey, Asif. How you doing, man? Welcome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. You know what? It's, it strikes me. I never congratulated you when your son was born, did I? When was that? <laughs> At least Which one? Which one? over two years ago, right? There's two now. Yeah. Yeah. It's Crazy. all right. It's all, it's all a blur. It's all a blur. <laughs> um good to see you man how's things excellent excellent living yeah. the dream yeah you are totally awesome that's all i have to hear yeah cool, totally. man. and it's a beautiful what a beautiful day beautiful spring day outside for anybody yeah, just... for sure did you get enough skiing in this year um you know i was just thinking that yesterday not bad but i definitely things shift for me with the kids so for me i'm like it's sunny and it's nice weather down here why bundle the kid up and drag them up the ski hill right now? He's still only two years old. So I'm re- actually really excited about spring right now. Nice. So, but I did, I got some skiing for sure. Do you cool. get us, do you get a pass yourself? Would you get up there? Yeah, I do cross country. So I'm a, like a classic in skate, um, Nordic skier. Um, I have never actually in my three plus years of living in the city been up to whitewater. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. You've never been to the ski hill just outside of town. That's like 20 minute drive. Wow. I know. I know. I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. I, I have to say, like, I've been a little bit um, cautious about getting into downhill. I just, like, I've had some injuries in the past that have taken a long time. And like, you know, the older you get, the longer it takes to recover. 100%. I agree. <laughs> I, feel, I feel the same with biking, but skiing, I always feel like it's a softer impact. But I hear what you're saying for sure. You know, there is a ski, there is a cross country track up there as well, eh? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I've been doing that. So I get a pass there every year, right? Apex and, uh, and busk. Yeah. Yeah. But you haven't been up. There's one up the actual ski hill, the ski resort. 
Oh, the you mean? Oh, you mean up at Whitewater? No, up I've never Whitewater, been up to sorry. that one. There is one there. Yeah. Which is yeah, nice. I know. I've heard. I've heard. Yeah. But the other part is, I'm not sure if my my 2003 Honda Civic is going to actually make the uh, trip. All right, up. that's a whole other. <laughs> that's true. A whole other factor there is your the vehicle yeah. you have. Do you yeah. take the whole family? Can the whole family go cross country skiing, or is, or is oh, that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's both, right? So so on Sundays they had until I think not last weekend, but the weekend before they had ski cross country ski lessons, right? So on Saturday I'd go out for a couple hours and get mine done, and then on Sunday we'd all go together, and then I'd hang out with them while Lori does, gets her ski in. And then, nice. Uh, yeah, it was great. It was a great. And then we'd go one night a week too. So we do night skiings uh, night skiing on Thursdays. And is that just you or is that the whole family? That's the whole family. With the kids yeah. too. Yeah, with yeah. the kids. Yeah, they love it. Like, yeah, just getting out at the end of the day into the outdoors at night and the silence out there and just being together. Like, yeah. That's just um, precious, you know? It's pretty <laughs> magical, right? Yeah. Um, so, hey, let's introduce the fam. So sure. who, who is the family? So the who fam um, is Lori, my partner. Um, and then my daughter, Aliyah, who is six, about to turn seven. And then my son, Aiden, who is three, about to turn four. Oh, fun. Fun ages, because now oh, you can totally. get out and actually do stuff with them, right? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, um, awesome. So remind me, and it'd be interesting for listeners, because um, I think a lot of people go through relocating with their family or certainly they think about relocating remind me how that happened because you're a tech worker from toronto right that's correct and you did you move remind me did you when did you move over here and what what was the connection that you had to this town particularly yeah so first question first um so i've been here for nearly four years now um, came from Toronto, had been in Toronto for about seven years um, before coming out here. So um, our last two years in Toronto, uh, well, let's say two years before we left Toronto, um, we discovered we had a daughter coming. So our daughter was born in Toronto. And by the time we moved over here, she was close to three years old. Right. And and the move was actually um, kind of motivated by our discovery that our son was coming. Um, so we'd been living in Toronto for a few years. It's pretty fast paced. We both had like decent, but really kind of stressful jobs. Um, and we'd come out to the Kootenays in the summers because my sister has been out in the Slocan Valley for about 15 years. Right. I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd come out here. This was our oasis to just de-stress and unwind and then go back into the madness of Toronto. Right. And, and then, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, do you, so was the inspiration to move because you were having a second child or it was already what what so why why the second child why not number one why does she why does she not get to move to the, to nelson yeah so i mean our our plan was um you know with with like uh we we had an intentional plan with our first child right so we like we you know we got off birth control and the whole bit and and um but she came a lot quicker than we expected right so we were already toying with the idea of making the move for you know just for the purpose of raising our kids in this environment and not being in Toronto. Right. Um, but she came, she came a lot quicker than we expected and we just weren't ready. Um, and then it took a couple of years of, you know, planning, building, looking around, seeing what the mar housing market was like um, and all of that. So 
And then, um, yeah, when we discovered the second one was coming, we, we just accelerated the process, right? We said, we just have to do this now. Right. Um, and so we did. And so we ended up buying a place here from Toronto. Uh, we came out on, on Christmas holidays, did the deal, went back and then moved here the following April. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what does, you mentioned like you weren't ready to move. So I'm interested, what does ready look like to you, ideally? That's a good question. I mean, I've spent my, most of my life, like I, you know, people talk about quote unquote career. I don't think I ever had one. I just stumbled into things, um, just following my own interests, right? And, I've, and I had always been able to make it that way. And life was fun. Um, I did a ton of traveling, met a ton of people. Um, but then, you know, when, when uh, our first child came, my brain switched gears, right? I started to think into the future. And it became time to get more serious about because it wasn't about me and having fun anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was yeah. about it was about establishing a, a secure base to raise these kids and to have them be successful. Right. And so, um, yeah. So so then it was about like my need to to kind of see the whole picture end to end. How you know what am I going to do? How am I going to earn money? Where are we going to live? you know, who are we going to hang out with? You know, all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, that, yeah. that like, it's easy to um, think yourself into perpetual postponement of, of a, you know yeah. what I mean? Of a passion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and then it was just, you know, when, when the second child kind of made his appearance, it was like, okay, like we just have to, we just have to um, take the step and we'll figure it out when we get there. Totally. You and you just mentioned you, your, your drive to support your kids in them being successful right so do you feel at that point there was a shift in your in how you perceive your success is your success then being a dad or is where's the career fit into that or is that just the sideline now as long as they're in a situation where they can thrive and become successful you don't matter so much did you have that's that exactly sense? it yeah that's exactly it you got it so um yeah i realized that my that my like what I used to get from external uh, people and sources, that gratification of, you know, like of, of success, if you want to call it that, of achievement, of, of doing, you know, doing the right thing, didn't matter from the outside anymore. It mattered on the inside. Right. right. And, and I think you don't realize this until you actually become a parent. Like I, the way I put it and the way I say it to every other new parent, and it completely resonates with everyone I've said it to is you understand what the meaning of life is now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, about the kids. <laughs> it is about the kids. You're right. And I think certainly I'm going through that right now thinking, you know, for a few years when my kids are young, cause when, you know, by the time they're six, seven, eight, they want to hang out with their friends. They want, you know, but I think the early years for me, at least, and I, you know, everyone's got their own way, but it's like building that bond and that attachment so that, you know, that foundation's there. And then if they spend a bit of time away or, you know, or you have to travel away for work or other things distract you, you can always go back to that foundation is what I've been, I've been finding anyway. Yeah, that's, that's so true. I, I listened to your, uh, your podcast with Mo. And like one thing that stuck with me that he said was he talked about that window, right? You've got you've got this window, where your kids still like hanging out with you They think you're cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. and, and like you're the you're Superman at this point, right? Like you anything they can't do, or you know, they see as not being doable, you will be able to and they come to you for that, right? Yeah, so, yeah. 
Yeah. So, and that really stuck with me. And, and especially like, you know, like, like sadly, right. That, that window closes, that window closes at a certain point necessarily for their own progress. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you do it right the first time they come back to you, that window reopens later in life. Right. Yeah. I so, think you're right. Yeah. Well, that window is maybe different in, for different people, I guess. But for me, it's certainly like zero to zero to five feels really key. And then, then they start to really gradually sort of put their tentacles out and find their people uh, that are the same age as them, that they, you know, they have that energy that sort of resonates with them. And yeah, it's, it's, that's fun to watch too. I must say last summer and Seth, who's in the UK, but you know, we see him a lot. We're in a lot of connection with him um, down at the skate park. Uh, you know, I, I took up skateboarding as I often mention. So we're down the skate park. And then this last summer, so he just turned seven, was the first year where as soon as there were other kids or even other people there, dad was in the background. I was in the shadows. And it was a little heartbreaking, but at the same time, interesting to watch his, his confidence, actually, his confidence to con- interact and connect with these people most of the time that he didn't know. It was really cool. But yeah, definitely a little heartbreaking. Like, come on, I'm Superman over here. I guess I'm not. The teenagers yeah. are way cooler than me now. Yeah, the scales are starting to fall away. <laughs> yeah, they are. yeah. That, so that skate park is like a two-minute walk from my place. Oh, amazing! Yeah, yeah, I live in Rosemont, so fantastic. Yeah, and and so so a similar experience for me. So um, you know, I took my kid first to um, I think it's the youth center in Nelson, where they do have like um, you know ramps and things for kids to ride their bikes on. They have a little climbing wall. Yeah, and, the indoor know. park. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So he, we, I took him there with his um, run bike, right? And he, he'd always like he'd done his thing with me. But one thing I noticed when he saw other kids that were maybe just a little older than him doing stuff on their run bikes, see that the Superman thing is a double-edged sword, right? Because they think it's so super what's being done that they don't think they can do it. But wow. when they see another kid accomplish that then it's like oh okay he just and it's like amazing to watch how they learn right they just observe there's a lot of like sophisticated like like brain stuff like like you can see it's putting a system together it's putting pieces in a row he's watching you can see he's thinking about it and then he'll just jump on his bike and do exactly the same thing that the other kid did yeah and yeah and i'm like yeah go kid and so like with that i'm like yeah okay that's cool i don't need to be superman i want you to move towards superhood now right (laughs) totally what i found as well as you say that what i was thinking was it also you are the inspiration for a while but it almost flips around and then i start getting inspired by my kid thinking how if he can do that and he's seven surely i can do that and i find that really fun I, that's the that's the fun part of parenting for me i think did yeah. you have you got a skateboard by the way i don't skateboard i don't skateboard yeah i, ne- I never really skateboarded i am a road biker so like i'm into like those endurance solo kind of things right yeah yeah i'll go for like three four hours that's my thing so. so hey let's talk about that um because i think that's something that we can all relate to too and i'm still struggling you know i'm sort of seven seven years into being a dad eight i guess seven eight years um with number one how do you find time for yourself? Are you good at that? Can you, do you get to find time? Like how, how do you re, rejuvenate yourself? It is. So that's, that is my time away is like, I'm not a huge, like hang out with groups kind of people. 
Um, I'm happy with the family. Like I'm happy hanging out with my partner and my kids. I love that. Yeah, I relate to that. Definitely. But in terms um, of sport though and activity. Yeah. So that's it. So I'll go, I'll, I'll grab my, I'll grab my skate skis and take off early in the morning. Right now I'll, I'll leave at seven and I'll be back at noon. And that to me is like the ultimate. Cause I'm outside, I'm in a rhythm, I'm being active you know, I'm away from technology, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. And, and for me, I, I find, I, I think I'm a kinetic thinker. Like I find I think and problem solve really well. Well, I'm, when I'm either riding on the road or skiing, um, cause there's nothing else to do. Your brain is able to, cause everything else is completely repetitive and rhythmical. Right. Yeah. Um, and so your brain is your, your brain is forming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, and, and your brain is able to look at problems from a different perspective right right in your so, current physical context so is that once a week is that, a, that, is that, a that yeah yeah it's at least once a week right um and if i don't then i start to feel a little bit crappy right yeah so. yeah so do you have any are there any daily things that you do like one thing i'm trying to do now now this is brand new but is i'm trying to do like maybe a 10 minute meditation I say that I'm setting myself up for a big fool because I'm talking, I've done this, I've done this twice uh, this week, but, okay, just, that's cool. yeah, but just 10 minutes. And that could actually be just me walking the dog a few for 10 minutes in the morning, but I'm trying to be mindful. Like every day just to have a bit of me time and ideally outside doing something, even if it's like a, maybe a run or like I say, a walk or maybe a meditation or even just doing a stretching and some basic exercises. Do you have anything like that you do on a day-to-day basis? No, no. And I, I got to say, I feel the lack of it. Like, you know, like now I'm working from home and it's so easy for work life to slip into home life um, yeah. and go beyond, you know, your nine to five. And then, and it's just like the nature of my work is I'm always problem solving. So the brain, it's hard to shut it down. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But I, I know what you mean. And I do need to be more um, disciplined about doing that time out piece. I think, I think actually just, that's i think that's why i've been thinking about it is because of being shut down for so long and i've been working at home too and yeah i almost end up kind of getting into this hermitage sort of state where i'm not i get so used to it i still i forget i go to the garbage can and i go to the woodshed (laughs) through the winter and that's kind of i get to the ski hill but i mean on a day-to-day sometimes i think wow i haven't really been outside so i'm gonna now it's spring i think okay for my health and well-being, I need more than just that, you know, once up at the ski hill kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. for sure. Not easy to do that with young kids. It's not, you know. Well, I mean, I, you know, there, there's me time and there's we time too, right? So for me, like, I remember in the winter um, going for a walk with my three-year-old. Just, he just wanted to go out. Like, and he, like, he was into the headlamp. So we got headlamps and he wanted to put them on. And <laughs> oh, awesome. So, so the walk was just an excuse to wear the headlamp for him, right? Um, <laughs> But it was great. Like we'd all get bundled up and I'd, me and him would just go, just me and him, which is like, that's a diff. that's another thing, right? There's the family and then there's you one-on-one with one kid. It's a whole different that's very dynamic. True. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And then just going out and just taking a couple of, you know, walks around the block, you know, and you know how they are, right? Three years old, everything is interesting. Oh yeah. You know, you don't, you don't get more than five steps without stopping and pointing at something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's awesome. And you, you hear your kid, you hear what they're thinking, you hear them, you know, and it's just you and them. That's awesome. So for me, like, that's another way to get that time out. It doesn't have to be 
me on my own. It just, it, it needs to be me away from work really is what it needs. Yeah, to be. no, that's huge. Um, especially when you're working at home, right? So you are working at home through the pandemic. Yeah. And even now? Even now, this week, I, I took this week off because um, my daughter is in grade one and she's on spring break this week or right. the last couple of weeks. So I've really felt like, so the working from home thing again is weird for the kids because they see you there, but you're not accessible. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's really weird. And then, and I don't have a lock on my door. So I'll, I could be in the middle of a meeting and my, and my, you know, three-year-old will just walk into the room, which, you know, like holding up his underwear, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's so, awesome. yeah. So it's always a bit of a balancing game because yes, you know, there's like, there's work clients and all of that, but I really feel bad when I have to just with the side of my mouth, tell my kid not now and continue the work because physically I'm here, I'm right here. And he doesn't understand why he can't hang with me. Right. Is that, has that changed as time has gone on, as he started to get it or is it still hard? I mean, he's started to get it. It's still hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. It is. That's, I would agree with you actually. I've, it hasn't happened a lot, but a few times. Yeah. You know, our boy Indy is, to just over two years old so he sometimes has a bit of a runny nose can't go to daycare and you're right i actually literally once had to put furniture to block the door um because it was the kind of meetings that i was having where it just he couldn't interrupt because i was demonstrating something and I, you know i had all you know maybe 20 people watching me on zoom right. and in those yeah in those times it's just i've no lock and i've literally barricading the door and you feel terrible you're right yeah that's the only downside that i found working from home like the other aspects of it i like there's a lot of positives around it but when the yeah. kids are around yeah you're right it's hard and is mum working as well or is mom no mom's home so that that was part of our choice right when we came here we wanted to have with, with our daughter for two years she was in you know she was in daycare in toronto um i gotta say that was hard like that whole dropping her off you know for the first week or two and leaving uh, how her old there. was she when she started she was uh, she must have been a little over a year right right because yeah. Lori went back to work after matt leave Right. Um, and then, you know, daycare started and daycare, just finding decent daycare in Toronto is, is a harrowing experience in itself. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's just, there's not much out there. And so, um, you know, like, like demand, you know, way outpaces supply. So it's also not cheap. Um, and then, and I had my own qualms about like, it, is it weird that we are going away every day and somebody else is raising our kid on a daily basis? Like, is yeah. that thing like she potentially she gets more influenced by people outside the home than by us right yeah you know we talked about that too we had the same thing with my first boy uh for the first two years i would yeah for the first two years no daycare nothing mom was looking after him um i would be around a lot but you know mom was the main carer at that point and then things shifted when we separated but then with yeah with our second boy i say my second boy i should say um so mum had she's she has a great career you know i've got a great career so we both want to keep those going mat leave finishes i took some of the mat leave too so we could both spend a bit of time together early on and then yeah it's it's been really tough because you want a parent but you don't want to let the career go because you know things just starting to lift off certainly for mum they were 
um, and I've been pretty established. So you're like the stability and the extended health benefits and all of that stuff. So what we came to, and this is partly us think speaking to a counselor as well is um, actually Todd has mentioned it. I think um, during these podcasts that it's the quality of time, sometimes not necessarily the quantity, but making sure the quality. So you have that impact on your kid. But, but you're right, you, your kid comes back and suddenly is saying certain words or knows how to do something that you didn't teach them. You're like, damn it, that's the daycare <laughs> teaching them that. I want to be. So it's a tough balance, isn't it? Yeah. That said, I have to say, so now I, I do the comparison with my with with Aiden, right? The boy. So he, he has never had daycare. He was born in Nelson Hospital um, and mom has always been around, right? right. So um I compare the two, like I see my daughter as now this may be a boy versus girl thing at the same age, way more sophisticated, like way more in terms of communication, in terms of her ability to like, you know, for lack of a better word, manipulate people like she she knows how to work me, right? Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't know how much that is an aspect of her own personality versus the early experience she had having to to you know make her way navigate through groups of other people yeah for sure versus I, I, the son like <laughs> yeah no yeah, could, oh, no yeah. he's like he, yeah he's just yeah he's like straight up like he's just like you know what you see is what you get yeah you know there, there's yeah, not he's much yeah you know and it's like yeah and he's like he can't control himself like you can tell him stuff and he really genuinely feels like sorry daddy i won't do that again but then, yeah. you know, like 30 minutes later, there it is. And it's like, it's not like he's consciously violated an agreement. Yeah. He just follows his instincts kind of right. thing. I think you're right with the daycare. That does make a difference for sure. Like the language with Indy, our boy, who's, yeah, like I say, just over two years old, is incredible. Like, repeat anything you say perfectly. He doesn't even say things backwards, which for the, well, for the most part, he doesn't. Like he can say hospital. Whereas my other boy used to say hostable, like yeah. everything was like a little bit different, but yeah, Indy's like picked up the language and you're right. They sort of, they train them, I guess, like almost like school because you have to. So he, yeah, his manners and things like that are, um, yeah, he's definitely ahead of his, ahead of his game, which is kind of a shame, but also it's really cute and adorable. And it, you know, it's just the way it is for him. Um, so here, I got a question for you, which okay. um, I haven't really, really brought up in the, in the podcasters yet but like me and i say that so that i don't put you on the spot here like me you are an older dad though right oh yeah like, totally. i didn't have my my first i had when i was 39 and then indy i want to say it's all a blur now 45 44 44 45 i forget yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to deny it and go a year younger. 44. <laughs> it's, it's funny how the brain does that eh? i just forget yeah um <laughs> But were you, have you, is there any time, ever a time when you uh, have been conscious of being an older dad? Well, first question, actually, if I can put it to you, was this a plan to wait? Was it just, it didn't, just hadn't come or it just later on, you had the right partner at the right time and it just all fell into place? Yeah. Like, like most things in my life, I think it was serendipity, right? Like I never, in my head, I never imagined myself being a father. Like, so, so let me back this up. Um, my own father um, had a heart attack when I was seven years old. So, so, and that, you know, and he died. And oh, so wow. I grew, I grew up, you know, with, that was a pretty formative experience for me as a kid. 
No doubt. And then two years later, um, you know, and this was in East Africa. I was born in East Africa in, in a country called Tanzania. Yeah, yeah. And um, so then two years later, my mom picked the three of us up, you know, me and my bro older brother and younger sister, and we moved to Canada. So the immigration process was already underway um, when, my, when my dad passed away. But so I grew up really <clears throat> in a, without a role, a male role model in a context that I didn't have really firm footing in, right? So right. I always felt a little bit out of place or a little bit like I didn't know what was going on around me two huge things losing your dad and moving countries like yeah. that's a lot of change at that age yeah i mean the the so some positives that came out of that experience were um you know i learned a lot about like i learned how the family's kind of status within the larger clan fell with the loss of a male kind of uh you know the patriarch like a, patriarch exactly so then so, so the ideas of sexism and, you know, in, in East Africa, <clears throat> we were an Indian family living in the middle of a three-tier society, which was Brits, Indians, and Africans, right? In that order. Right. Um, so, you know, like while I had never questioned our position, um, you know, in, in that society, moving to Canada gave me a new perspective on race and on status related to race, right? So like, all of these things kind of um, had positive impacts, I think, in the long run. But yeah, definitely not easy to deal with as a kid. Um, yeah. So that said, I never saw the model of a patriarch in the household. So there and was no male figure down the road? No. It was no. raised by a single mom? That's it. So yeah, my mom never remarried or never kind of, um, you know, found another partner or, or was interested in. And she always said that, right? I love your dad and I will never, like, he will oh, be my wow. only husband. And my life now is about you kids. Wow. Um, yeah, so like super strong woman, right? And so that's that's where all my values come from. That's where my you know, work ethic comes from. That's where my, you know, as long as I can, this is my mom talking, as long as I can stand on my own two feet, I will never accept charity from anyone or anything. Wow. Yeah. Woman. That's fantastic. Yeah. Totally. Right? And huge, huge. And, you know, like I think back in my adult, from my adult mind at what she had to go through losing a husband. Right. And I think she probably was in her mid thirties at that time. She had three kids, right. I was like six or seven. My brother was like 10 and my sister was like two. Right. At that time. And then two years later, you know, with the kids two years older, pick it up, move the whole shebang to Canada. <laughs> wow. Wow. What a trip. Yeah. So, yeah. So like that, that reality. So for me, I think formatively it, it taught me that like life is always precarious and unpredictable, you know, no matter how together you think your game is, something is going to happen or can happen tomorrow. That's going to pull everything away. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You could lose anything at any instant. So for, for that reason, was that a fear to go into being a parent and having a kid and family? Maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, I never thought of it as a fear. I just thought of myself as like, you know, like I, I saw traditional or normal, I guess, ways of doing things. And I said, ah, this is bullshit. I'm not into this. I want to live my life this other way where I just want to go and experience stuff. Cause I never know, like maybe next year I'm not here. Right. Like, Right. Yeah. So you saw it in that way. I was wondering yeah. if like, yeah, with a family, 
it just being so precarious this life is like what's the point of doing that i may yeah, as well yeah. go and live you know yeah could that that could have been a conclusion i i i think my partner had a lot to do with um you know like 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 moving forward into parenthood right so yeah i mean um but my thing was like a big moment for me was when i hit 42 i'm coming around to the age question so so when i hit 42 which was the age my father died suddenly Ah. yeah suddenly i was like holy shit i never thought i would be here right i never thought i'd i just and this is not stuff that i had consciously considered it was something that was going on inside me that I wasn't aware of, right? And it was only at like milestones, like when I hit 42, I was like, okay, this is the age my dad died. Now I'm here. Now I can't screw around anymore. Like I have to start, like the future is there. I have to think about it and prepare for it kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, so all that led to, so at, so my daughter was born when I was 47. Yeah. And my son at 50. Right. So, and I just turned 54. Like hey, congrats. Two days ago. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Still, still trucking. Oh yeah. I gotta, that, that's my thing, right? With the, with the endurance thing is like, gotta stay one step ahead of entropy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah. I mean, certainly with terms of my fitness, I mentioned this the other week, someone. Um, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm running and skateboarding and doing all these activities so that I can keep up with the kids really. And I love that inspiration. It's a, it's a good motivator. That's for sure. Yeah. So was, so you with, were you guys a pretty established as a partnership before the first kid comes along? Oh yeah. 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 I think we've so, been together for what? Five years, maybe. Right. And then was it pressure to have a kid? Like, was it an equal kind of decision or were you like, did you take some convincing as it were? No, it didn't take convincing. It just, it, it was something that I had never thought about, but it wasn't, I mean, with, I mean, I've, I've had previous partners where I was like, no, I'm not going there. You know, like, that's just not for me. And partly it was because like, I was, I'm not ready. I'm not, I, I can't be a father. A guy like me should not be permitted to have a child kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can, I can relate. I can relate. <laughs> In the late thirties, I was still questioning whether I was ready, but yeah. Yeah, but then, you know, like, like, Lori was so ready, and it just felt right. And yeah. I think, you know, with, with the switch at age 42, and then I was like, I was actually in a job that was like, you know, kind of serious and all of that. And I was like, okay, like, things are coming together. Let's like, like this, this could be a really cool thing. You know? Yeah. Did you so did you think at all about your age? Was that even a factor to you? Or does I, it come I, up ever? it comes up from time to time, right? Like I think about it, not now, because like, I still like, I'm able to hang around with them and run with them and have fun, but there's going to come a time where they're going to, they're going to supersede me. They're going to be faster than me. They're going to be, you know, they're going to climb better than me. They're going to ride farther. Like that's coming. And it's that moment that I'm a little bit afraid of less so for them than for myself. Right. It's a little hit to my ego. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know what though? I think in the cute where we live, all these kids, like just watching any of them riding a bike downhill at the age 10, skiing age 10. I mean, they just go so big in this area because they start from such a young age. So I would say one thing I've noticed is like, you hear that from all parents, I think, that that have, it's not long before your kid's overtaken you. Yeah. But what I'd like, and I feel too, I don't know about you actually, but when I think about it, I know yourself, there's a, there's a variety of dads in this area and actually For overseas sure. too, friends of mine that are 
coming to being fathers much later in life um, and mums maybe too, but just to think about the dad perspective, I feel like in your forties, it's not rare now to, yeah, to become a dad. And actually I was sort of joking um, the other day about this, but I, I figure if it's okay for Hollywood, it's okay for me. And there's so many of those guys that are having kids later on in life. Um, but yeah, I just, I wonder, I think now, actually, it's not, I could care less. Like I'm not, I don't think about it at all. But when it was coming to the second kid and I was hitting my mid forties, that's where I started just question. I don't know if I'm feeling, and then I just, it just kind of happened and we agree. Like it was a plan and yeah, it feels right. Like, why not we you're not old until you're 80 now really yeah yeah you just got to avoid injury and keep active that's the thing right so so to me it's two things like number one is our societies are generally geared towards work rather than family right so you know that that we've had that that discussion in the first part of our conversation and um and so it kind of with the economy being the way it is and demographics people are generally having to wait a little longer in any case to feel established enough to start a family, right? Yeah. So it's it's happening later in general. Yeah. That's one. Two is, I feel like I would, I'm a better father now than I would have been when I was younger. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Now, do you feel that in terms, the one thing I feel about that sometimes is my energy level might not be quite what it was 10 years ago, even 15. That's the one thing I noticed. But I otherwise I would agree because I don't I've done my thing. I haven't given up life at all. But it's okay <laughs> for me to take a few years out. Whereas I would have got FOMO 10 years ago, fear of missing <laughs> yeah. out. You know, yeah, I'd have been yeah. like, oh, my buddies are going out climbing today and I can't because I've got to like change the diapers and ah. And I would have been probably frustrated with that. Now I'm I can kind of take it in my stride. Yeah. Well, there's so so the the having energy comes with um you know, uh, I, I don't know how to put this kind of um, tactic, you know, like, like in a way that's not offensive, but, and I'm talking about myself. So for me, when I had more energy, I was less mature, right? Like, so, so the decisions I made and the things I did were way more risky and stupid than what I'm doing right now. Now, now having lived through those experiences, I, I think I'm a better guide for my kids, right? Right. A, I don't try and make them be anything, Right. And B, I've, I've been through cycles of experience enough that I can say, you know, when I did it, when I did it this way, this is what happened. When I did it that way, that's what happened. And, and I'm able to, you know, like let my kids be themselves. All I want to provide is my perspective based on my experience. I'm not on your, right your wisdom, right? Because you've lived it. And exactly. You become that teacher with some more confidence, maybe now that you're older. I do, yep. I feel that for sure. Yep. Yeah. And and you know, and you're you're less reactive, right? Like you because you've been through more, you're calmer in the face of what could be maybe a a, a panic inducing situation for somebody. You've been through it a few times, so you just and you remaining calm is like your kids like sponge their emotions off you, right? Yeah. If you react to a situation in one way you'll see your kids feeling exactly the same way. It's physical. Like there's, yeah. so, so yeah. So the ability to remain calm in the face of challenges for me is a huge life skill. And that's something I can impart to them now, which I didn't have 
before to give them right yeah that's a really good point yeah and I, th- I do think about that a lot is yeah my ability now i notice it with number two as well i noticed like i'd been through it once so there is something about already having been a parent when you come around to number two oh, yeah. i can kind of not it's not even freak out really it's just trust i just trust a lot more than i did the first time you know whereas you know maybe when they miss a nap the first time around or something gets forgotten or whatever like it's just it doesn't matter they're gonna be fine you know you just have to trust the process and trust your own instincts too as well yeah um yeah so go yeah yeah i was gonna say like you learn from the first one right like so an interesting spin for me on the question of you know um being an older parent is are you a better parent with your second child as compared to your first child (laughs) interesting yeah, I if I if I ask myself that question, I just think there's no there's no definitive answer. I think for me it's more I just feel calmer. I personally feel it easier. But I'm really strongly attached to my eldest boy and the younger one too for sure. But I mean there's still a Seth's got several year five years worth of connecting with me over the my little boy, who is of course like very connected but i think yeah i think the kids it didn't impact so much it's more me and my probably my relationship because the first time it was hard it was a big step it was a big mm. jump and i wasn't ready like i wasn't stable i wasn't i mean not i, I mean that in terms of like you know having a financially having yeah. savings and have a like a well uh paid career i was working multiple jobs and i made it work but yeah it's, um, you know, it's an interesting. Well, so what about you? Do you feel like you're the better parent the second time around or better partner? Better partner for sure. Yeah. Better parent. I don't know. I think different, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, better partner is, is really a factor of time, right. And more and more experience with, with the same person and learning, learning and changing, right. Because none of us are, are staying the same anytime. So no, I felt I've grown hugely as a parent and I think probably the calmness I mean, I do, there is an aspect of my work experience that helps because I used to do outdoor education. And I always joked, actually, I've been to Tanzania on three different occasions with teenagers, beautiful country. I loved it. Oh yeah. Uh, Zanzibar. Zanzibar, nice. (laughs) You're speaking my language. (laughs) It's such a fantastic place. And, uh, but yeah, you know, working with teenagers, like on multiple week expeditions, I had that kind of experience of, kind of working with all ages really and that's what that really did help me i think in general but i think it definitely become a better partner with the second one um which and i hadn't thought to ask you this but have you if you haven't taken the kids to tanzania yet are you going to take them i'd love to um no i haven't yet like haven't even you know, they're, they're, and we, we're out of that window where they fly for free, right? <laughs> Damn, yeah. Wait till they start earning some money. Get them, get them working, part-time job. Yeah, definitely want to. Like, I did a ton of traveling, right, when I was growing up. Um, so I want, I want to expose them to different realities and just have their brains work through whatever they're experiencing over there. But yeah, no, no solid plans yet. Yeah, that. yeah. That's, I got to say, that's one in the back of my mind that we've talked about is Tanzania, and going there and doing, you know, like a safari, something yeah. like that would be amazing. It's a, it's a beautiful country. And there's other parts of Africa I've been as well, which 
it's just such a great adventure. What a great continent to take a, to do a family trip um, at the right age, at the right age. And you're right. Sure. Yours are pretty young, like mine too. Um, so here, what, so what is better about just a really coarse question, but what is better about raising the kids and bringing the family and raising them in a mountain town? What are the benefits that you've experienced? Yeah. Well, for me personally, the stress level is incredibly um, less than it was in Toronto, right? In Toronto, like just walking on the sidewalk at rush hour is a competitive sport, right? Um, <laughs> like it's such a competitive city, like like everything, right? And like the bus will stop and somebody will step in front of you when you've been standing there waiting. You know, like it's just how it is. That's just the ethos of Toronto. That's what yeah. it's all about, right? So city life. I mean, that said, there there are some there are a lot of good people in good places there as well. But my work and and the stress level was something that was, yeah, it it had an impact on me. It had an impact on my relationships <clears throat> inside the home. Cause you know, I wasn't necessarily able to put it down at the end of the day. Like you, you drive to work is stressful. You do your full day of work is stressful. Then you, you know, then you drive home, you pick up your kid and you come home and then you've got all these things you have to check off, get done. And then you do it all again the next day kind of thing. Right. right? Yeah. So, um, you know, like, like I said, we'd come out here to de-stress and then, uh, you know, like made a conscious choice that that lifestyle, you know, wasn't going to lead to anything good in Toronto. Right. So, so it, we came out here primarily just for the, the, the slower pace of life. Gotcha. Here, right. Then the added advantage of the mountains and the lakes and the rivers and like all of that. Stuff. The nature, easy the access nature, to nature yeah. is brilliant. Did you find it stressful though? I mean, there's one thing about living in an area like this in a small town. And I, and I think you've done really well because you've, you've had some great jobs here, but was there a stress about finding the right job and, earning enough money to make it work here? Because I totally agree with you. There's no hustle and bustle. It's, it's a slower pace of life, but it's not easy always to get work. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's really hard. Yeah. So when I remember when I left Toronto, right, I was, I was leaving this tech job and um, you know, at, at the farewell party, like I was talking to somebody there and she was telling me, you know, like if you have to, like, you know, you'll work in home hardware. Like it's not a, you, you know how to talk to people and you can, you know, like it's not a big deal kind of thing. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. Like, and, and like I said, like I was at a point in my life where the job and the, whatever, whatever prestige illuminates off your job onto yourself, like that became completely irrelevant to me. It was like, it was all about the kids now and the family. Right. right? So, so I was like, it doesn't matter uh, as long as I can come here and get work that allows me to stay here. Right. That's what it's about. Um, and then when I came here, I quick, quickly realized that like medical benefits were a huge like deal, right? Like whereas in Toronto, it's, it's pretty standard, right? You get a job, you know, you get the benefits and like it's, it's a typical thing out here. There's all these different kind of models for employment. And so, you know, that, that first year, which was the first time I'd ever been on EI when I came here, <clears throat> um, I, yeah, I was, I was concerned. I mean, I was like, it took me some time to, to, for, to let Toronto fade away, first of all, and that job fade away. And I, I can't say I didn't have any regrets about leaving the job. Oh yeah. So yeah. Cause though I was happy to be here, I was like, it'd be nice to have that salary. Right. Like, Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. It's a real thing here. Yeah. 
So yeah, and then, and the funny thing is like, while, so during that first summer I was here, um, I was looking for patio furniture on Kijiji. And so I went to this place where this woman was selling some patio furniture. I started talking to her. She ended up working at KCDS. And so she said, oh, you need a job? Come see me. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, Learned so then one thing led to another, right? That's how that whole kind of thing rolled forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely a challenge. It's a huge deal. Like, I, like I've seen people come try and not make it in this town, right? Yeah, Simply can because that. they can't find work. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's a tough it's, one, isn't it? It's, um, but you managed to buy it because did you sell up in Toronto and then move here and buy a place? I didn't have a place in Toronto. We did look in Toronto. I just couldn't come to accept buying a place within my budget that would force me to commute for an hour and a half each way every day. Yeah, I was like, we're already living this like bang, 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 bang lifestyle. Like what's going to happen if we have to drop off our child at daycare an hour and a half before we have to start work and pick her up an hour and a half after we finish? That means she's spending what, eight, 10, 12 hours a day there. And how much time does she get with us? Like physically, like awake time where we're communicating and talking. Like very little, are you both work when you were there then you were probably probably both working to make ends meet right pretty much yeah that's yeah. the and that was just rent <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy it is crazy the cost of living these days yeah so given that you've moved over here you're obviously close to your mum am i right in saying yeah totally. so how how do you stay connected did mum come here or how do you stay connected with fr- friends and family back there for the kids yeah so i actually grew up in vancouver I, I like when, when we moved to Canada, we lived for one year in Calgary and then, and then we moved to Vancouver. So I grew up, did high school, did university in Vancouver and then left again and and started. Gotcha. So my mom's in Vancouver, right? So, so though we're geographically closer together, it takes us longer to reach each other. So, so whereas she could get on an airplane uh, in Vancouver and be in Toronto in five hours. Now we drive to Vancouver and it takes us eight hours. Right. (laughs) right yeah does she come to visit though does she uh yeah she playing? i mean generally yes like she would be here generally every summer um and then she was here this like last fall um we just pulled her out of the city like during the pandemic and she came yeah. and hung out with us for a couple months um until she just needed to go back right so um yeah so and, and then my like my mom has an ipad and you know and so like she does a ton of facetiming and zooming and stuff like that so so at least once a week she's talking to the kids oh great and are they screen, good with screen. they good with using using facetime and the screen oh yeah they're they yeah. engage well on it digital natives as they call them right yeah. like they're a little too good like better than me like they'll find stuff that i have no idea exists right <laughs> oh yeah that's awesome so do they have access outside of that like do they end up using it just in day to day yeah i gotta say i'm not great with the whole like limit your kids screen time thing yeah, no they're, I... yeah they're, they probably spend a good i don't know two to three hours a day on screens yeah are these it games or is it just watching cartoons and stuff? It 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 could be games, it could be cartoons, it could be um, you know, like my the the older girl now, she's about to turn seven, she's getting more into like educational type shows, right? Like yeah. for kids. Um yeah. yeah, so that's great. Um that said, like my partner Lori is like her background is she's got a teaching degree for elementary school French immersion. So she's doing a ton of activities with the kids all the time, right? Like last night 
they were doing like they, they went to the library and took out this uh, borrowed this this robot kit with this like science and technology type toy right so then so then you, you, you use colored markers to basically map out the code quote unquote and then the robot like like it calibrates the code with the robot and you put the robot on the paper that you've drawn the lines on the robot will follow you like all that kind of stuff right toys but fun they're learning concepts you know it's all very cool for them and yeah like yeah. the whole the tech thing is really like nothing surprising unusual or weird like for us right we came into this world they yeah. are they were born into it totally i know and that's something i've had to start to accept and realize because certainly with my eldest Seth in the UK, he's, yeah, they're using screens all the time at school now and they have homework that is app. So they need to have the app on their iPad, which is a, it's kind of a trip. And sometimes I feel a bit disappointed, but then I realize I always make sure that both, both boys are having so much access to nature. We go canoeing and camping in the summer and we go to the ski hill and we go to the skate, you know, we, we do tons of the outdoor stuff. So I find I'm finding the balance that way. And not getting too precious about it, especially when it's four o'clock in the morning and your two-year-old's woken up and you're like, well, what do I do now? Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. You put on uh, Max and Ruby or whatever. whatever. Max and Ruby. <laughs> yeah, classic. <laughs> Peppa Pig. I actually don't mind Peppa Pig. I can oh yeah, Peppa Pig is great. I, but, <laughs> yeah, my, my, the, he, my kid was watching that from when he was two, right? So he started like developing like the British accent for certain words. <laughs> from watching Peppa Pig, right? <laughs> I know, right? It's so funny. My little boy hit uh, the two-year-old because I say things like trousers. Yeah. He <laughs> copies me with that. So he has a real blend of like, yeah. And of course, watch his Peppa Pig on top of that. It's pretty awesome. cute. Um, so what do you think of the biggest challenges that you've had as a dad? If you could, if you could nail it down. I think uh, for me, it's controlling my own, um, I don't know, ne negative instincts. Like the, you know, things that I may have done when kids weren't around, I have to, and it's not as simple as just swearing or, or not swearing, right? It's like, I used to, it would be easy for me to get worked up about stuff, right? Like I have this kind of, this is how things ought to be. Right. And, um, and if they're not that way, it's, it, it used to be very easy for me to get worked up about stuff. Right. Now um, I catch myself, right. Like a, it's not actually that important. Like it's, it's a, it's a skewed perspective on reality. That's, that's winding me up. It's not that important because the, if it's done this way, that way, or the other way, it's, it'll still get done. Right. That, that kind of thing. And, the, and then, uh, you know, like, Tr being very conscious of controlling my own frustrations with my kids so like I said like like with the boy he just and he's exactly me like I remember my mom telling me calling me like telling me I had hands like hammers like that's when I was a kid right because I'd destroy everything I'd get my hands on like I'd get a toy I'd take it apart like and you know like in hindsight, it's like, oh, that was me being, you know, like, like an engineer trying to figure out how the, and, and that's what my kid does. Right. But it's a, it pisses me off. Cause it's like, I spent, you know, how much I spent for that. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Yeah. I've been there. You know, that's hilarious. But yeah, but like that, that like what it's teaching me is not to trust my own assumptions about other people's motivations. Right. Why somebody did something. 
because it's always the pissed offness is based on the assumption that the person was knew what you knew and yet went ahead and did this anyway right it's yeah. like it's like when you get cut off in traffic like oh that person intent like they may not even have seen your car when they just bad driving into, right exactly but it's you know for you know for me and i guess in general it's hard for us not to take that stuff as it relates to us specifically right right so that that i, I like i'm becoming better at ejecting those assumptions and just observing like the person and trying to understand where they're coming from and where they're going right yeah i remember someone said to me um that if it if tomorrow that thing doesn't matter anymore then it's not important enough to get worked up about and sometimes i don't always do that but sometimes i remember that thought and think is this oh yeah tomorrow i'm not going to care about this it's just in this moment it's really bugging me yeah. and i'm going to step back and the second kid i think as well as like got me easing down a little bit with some of those little things around nap times or feeding time or and you're like yeah doesn't matter yeah. tomorrow's another day whatever yeah i mean they're they're you know they're like they're part of nature nature consumes food they will consume food like that whole thing about being super rigorous with yeah yeah but yeah, I mean, that that's definitely something that I can say parenthood gave me is perspective, right? On myself. Right. right? And and especially we, weeding out the negativities because it's the worst feeling in the world when you give your kid shit for something and they feel bad, like, and they don't feel bad. It's not, the bad feeling isn't about like, oh, I did this wrong thing. The bad feeling is like, oh, I made dad feel bad, right? That's like, they don't want to disappoint you. Yeah. Like that that's hurts heartbreaking me. that's heartbreaking <laughs> you're right and sometimes it's just because you're dehydrated or you didn't eat food or somebody at work was really crappy to you or you know you're taking that frustration out no longer on the dog but on your kid yeah and yeah i think you're right it's um perspective is a really good thing I th yeah i think it's we're growing you said that like it's true take this as an opportunity to like actually look at ourselves a bit more because they're and then the end you like i think you said this too that they are the sponge and so everything that they see you do they want to copy and emulate that yeah so if we're not being the best person that we can be then um then we're letting them down completely um, completely um so if you had to if you had to give some advice to someone who is about to become a parent and I know that's a big question, but is there anything in particular that you advice you would offer? Mm. Advice is interesting, right? So usually when like uh, one of my friends kind of transitions into this, although most of my friends did it before me <laughs> uh, into this phase, right? My thing is like, okay, welcome to the club because you're a different person now. You're a different person. And, you know, like you'll, you'll, it'll come back to you many times in the future, this term, you're a different person. So, th so that's what I would say. But advice-wise, I guess it would just be to, again, just rein in those parts of yourself that you know could hurt your kids, right? And, and um, yeah, and do your best to kind of not impact them negatively. That's probably heavy if, as advice for a first-time parent. But maybe it's just because I'm thinking about this right now. To me, that's the biggest deal is do no harm, right? Yeah, <clears throat> focus on the positive. And remembering that they, yeah, they're going to mirror your actions a lot of the time. So how yeah. you treat your partner, how you treat the other people around you. No, I think that's good advice. Um, and hey, I actually got another question for you that just popped into my head. Okay. Your dad 
tragically died when you were seven years old, right? But you're just saying that you have friends around you that have been parents before then. Because I wonder, when I parent, I'm very much, and I'm not always doing this consciously, but in terms of like how my boundaries are and some of my strictness, um, I'm very easygoing, but there's certain things that I'm just very strong on. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm strict and this is the rules and that's how it is. That's from my dad but you didn't have a dad showing you that guidance. So are you pulling from your mom or is there, is there a part of your friend group there where you've seen them raising kids and you're sort of emulating what they do? Or have you even thought about that? That's a good question. Um, I think, I think most of it comes from my mom. Right. Um, so, so I'll, I'll uh, kind of take a little, little walk down a little path on this question. So, you know, one impact of losing my dad very early from my own perspective is that lack of like serious ability to discipline, especially for a boy, right? Because I remember there was an age beyond which my mom couldn't really discipline me. Like I remember the back and forth we had, right? Where I looked in her eyes and I was like, okay, now what? And yeah, I could see she was like, oh shit, I've reached that moment, right? And, um, you know, whereas a male kind of authority figure may have had more influence for a longer period of time over like a son, right? So it allowed me to explore and do things. I think it helped me be more creative and open to life, not having had that, that influence. Um, the, that said, you know, like when I, in terms of discipline, my kids, like I have lines too that I don't, like, like it hurts me when they go over. And so I articulated, but at the same time, I know the advantage I had. Right. So I, I want to leave the world open enough for them to explore and learn on their own, you know, with me kind of just giving pointers and not saying you must or must not do this. Right. There are certain things, obviously, that, you know, you must not do. And I'm probably not quite there yet in terms of like what I'm learning is, you know, when you lay it down as the law, it tends to be less effective than when you bring the kid along with your reasoning, right? Right, yeah. You know, like like you, you walk them through, it could be a story or it could be a, a little experience where you're walking through and pointing things out, but basically showing them that your actions can have different consequences, right? And, and if you take this step, like this could be a consequence of that. And if you take that step, this could be, you know, a very different consequence of that. And, you know, and then you kind of like, what do you think, what would you, pre you know, like, like you're basically asking loaded questions and leading the kid to the answer, but it's, you're helping them understand the, the thing, the way you think about it. Yeah. So that my, and my hope is when they, when they enter that situation, they walk through that thought process, right? It doesn't just become a, Oh, my dad said no, therefore no. Like I want them to come to conclusions and not just follow dictates. Totally. You're arming them with an ability to make good choices when they come across certain circumstances. I think it's a really good approach. And um, I'll tell you, there are some times where I actually I make up stories. Oh, there was another five-year-old kid that, right, did that right. and he lost his arm because then he was too close to the cars. And I don't know, I'm just making stuff up. Right, right. But I do, I do little things like that sometimes and make it into a bit of a story and explanation. So like, oh, that sounds really bad, dad. I don't want to get hurt. I'm like, yeah. no, because often it's safety stuff as well, I find. There's a lot of stuff around safety yeah. where there's like, you just can't cross that line. 
Yeah. Well, especially if they're skiing and riding and all of that stuff, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and the roads. I worry about the road and the river. Those are my two big concerns, mm. certainly around here. Those are the places where they can get really, really hurt and things can go really wrong. But yeah. touch wood, been yeah, lucky indeed. so far. Yeah. Um, hey man, it's been really great to chat. It's been super fun to catch up. Yeah, and, you- uh, thanks so much for making the time. Cool. Yeah, that was great, Blue. Um, we should get together for a beer, man. Uh, the pandemic thing is winding down. That sounds great. I'm in. Let's make it happen. Okay, man. Thanks so much. And now for a check-in with my favorite psychologist and fellow dad, Todd Kettner. But yeah, Todd, thanks again so much for, for joining me on the podcast. It's always really great to connect with you. Sounds like you've talked to some really uh, cool dads since last time we last met, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been really great, actually. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to jump in and talk about Asif. So he really interesting story, um, and it was fun to talk about where he's coming from. So he he actually I didn't know this until we were talking, and he's someone that I've known for a little while as a work colleague, um, and now as a friend. But he was from Tanzania originally. And then at the age of six, they had all their paperwork to emigrate to Canada and his dad tragically died. And, but they made the move anyway. So they moved to Vancouver. He then moved to Toronto for work and life. And, you know, later on he's had kids. And by the time number two comes along, he decides to move with his family. I I should say it's the decision of, you know, him and his partner to move from Toronto to Nelson where he's got family and connections. Um, now, one of the things he said, which I wanted to ask you what your thoughts were on this, um, he was saying, and I really relate to this, is the gratification from external sources um, and career goals and material belongings, those kind of things, has very much been sidelined for spending time with the kids and focusing on their needs. Um, and I will say, actually, that Asif's done really well, and he's at, you know working for a tech company now in town. So it's worked out. Uh, for the family in the in the long run but i just wonder because i know a few friends that have their kid i call it like the empty nest syndrome maybe i don't know if there's a term for it but this idea of the kids once they get old enough they fly the nest and now the parent is now oh what now so i wonder is there do you come across that ever with parents that maybe are now feeling a little lost or they did put their career on hold and maybe that that long term isn't i'm thinking about this a lot myself actually with my career like is that really the best thing for the kids to to make those sacrifices i mean it's easy to say it's balanced too i guess that's always something we come back to but yeah any thoughts on that yeah for sure i'm just distracted by two dogs and uh, people here so um (laughs) i'm gonna go up to (laughs) you're gonna have to edit this obviously and i'm gonna try and find another room here hey it's keeping Working it real home, man it's all good yeah. yeah exactly we're all in it together the life of covid eh yes exactly uh kaylee just came back and uh picked up the puppies who were barking on the pat- back porch where i put them so we're all good now <laughs> all right Perfect. so the do i need to pause before i answer so you can oh, edit no, easier it's good. it's good i'll go with yeah I'll probably leave a little bit of that in. Keeps it real. It's all good. Okay, um, good. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm cash. Uh, but yeah, yeah. What do you think about that as a parent? Well, the, the first thing that strikes me about this story is um, sort of counter to a, a lot of what we sometimes assume about trauma. 
here's a story of supreme resilience in trauma, right? I mean, that, that's a tough story. Losing a parent in the midst of a already, you know, tumultuous kind of move and an immigration situation. And then coming here and, as you say, th thriving in many ways as a partner, as a dad, as a professional, right? So just it's great to hear those, right? This is, this is why we've always in history loved story because story inspires, story teaches. So I just wanted to note that before I answered your question. Thinking about, you know, putting things aside or not, there's, you mentioned the word balance and I've heard some people talk about uh, portfolios of time because, you know, you, you could take our 24 hours or you could take our seven days or you could take our 365 a year and do a pie graph and say, you know, I, I need 53% for my kids and I need 21% for my partner and 5% for my own health and I've got to earn money in 10%. And that's kind of one way to look at it. Or you could say, these are the values that I have and what I want to accomplish with, uh, uh, what I want to do with my values, how I want to live them out with my kids, with my partner, with my friends, with my own health with my profession. And I suspect that that's a better way to, or a, a fuller or more manageable way to do it. So that allows parents to take on consulting work and do 16 hours a day for three weeks and then go on a two week canoe trip with the kids. Or it allows us to say, you know what? Right now my values and uh, at this particular time of my kid's life, I'm going to really um, take advantage of what's coming to my lips, but that's not what I mean. I, I really want to fully live this opportunity of parental leave that didn't used to exist, right? It was only um, maternal leave. And so we have this uh, parental leave that's, you know, we can take or we can split with partners or to use that and I don't have to climb the next rung of the professional ladder right now. I can decide, hey, I'm gonna maybe do some, some courses that poise me well for taking that step when my kid hits kindergarten. So portfolio versus balance, I think is more realistic and perhaps more motivating for us. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it. It's something that we're talking about too, because we've got the two-year-old and Sage, you know, my partner's doing you know, fantastic. You know, she's a fantastic job and it's like lots of potential to sort of grow in that. She's talking about doing a master's. So it, it's a real conversation that we have regularly. And I'm really supportive trying to find, yeah, trying to not swing it too far one way where she's now maybe putting that career, which has great potential longer term for her. And I think, yeah, I think communication too, isn't it? It's talking about your partner and just being really honest and open with what you, what your needs are right then. And that, that brings me to this thought, which I, to be honest, I heard this from another parent, but I heard that um, from this other parent that to focus, um, it's really important to focus on zero to five with your kid um, as they're getting their foundation in life um, and they're building that attachment with you. And then between five and 12, that, it's more about, and I think my mum said this too as well, shout out to my mum who's probably listening, um, 
that between, you know, that five and 12 is about school and about friends. But then in the teenage years where the hormones are kicking in and, you know, girlfriends, boyfriends, you know, all of these other sort of factors outside of school, maybe in the social life become a big part of life. And therefore they really need to know that their parents are there and available for them. Is there any truth to that? Or is that like a bit of a rough breakdown that somebody just sort of came up with? Oh, no, I think that's a, a really helpful way of seeing it. And, you know, when we say zero to five, we might mean zero to seven with our particular kid or, you know, so the flexibility around that. Yeah, attachment early on is important. Attachment, I think, in middle years is important. Attachment in teenage years is important. How we attach and the amount of dedicated hours shifts quite a bit. And some of it's logistics, right? If right. we have the opportunity for one or both or alternating parents to have more hours with kids as they're younger, fantastic. I would never recommend against that. It's not a reality for many parents. And I would encourage those parents to not feel guilty because they have to uh, go back to work after six months or a year and I've, I've yet to hear of a parent who didn't do a very thorough job of deciding uh, who's going to help them care for their kids while they're at work, right? Should it, should it be relatives? Should it be the neighbor? Well, if it's going to be, um, um, you know, uh, a, a daycare, childcare center, I'm going to ask around. I'm going to ask other parents, you know. So parents are thorough about that, right? So if we just kind of look at our own, uh acquaintances and our siblings and our friends around us some of them had more or less of one or two parents at home during those early years and we made it right yeah, and so true. so yes it's important do it if and when you can and if you also have to have uh um all of the parents whether it's one two three however many are in the household uh working then do that and and find ways to enhance the attachment yeah 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 and i think maybe we've talked about it before but it's that qu quality of time and i was just we were talking about this the other day but the quality of time and not getting too lost on the guilt of maybe you know the quantity of time and sometimes if you don't if it's the quantity if it's there it, it may not be quality time because you're stressed out and because whatever so yeah yeah, cool. That's really, yeah, that's really interesting. Thanks for, um, yeah, thanks for sharing those thoughts, Todd. And, uh, Welcome. Yeah. Can I circle back to one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you asked about this empty nest kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. that's a commonly used phrase. I was just uh, in my um, in my uh, adult development course, I was uh, just lecturing on this uh, a week or two ago, and there's a fair bit of data saying that's a myth. That, you know, this is the idea that, um, you know, the kids go away and, you know, the nest empties and the parents are kind of like uh, sad and lonely and, you know, not sure how to handle it. There's actually, on average, a bit of a spike in, in individual happiness for the parents and couples happiness. Is that right? They've been working so hard towards this goal that sure you're sad to see the kid go off to university or move up north to plant trees. And it's quiet and you only have to clean up for yourself. And you know, you have, you know, you don't have to be quiet in the bedroom at night. You can just like 
you know, be 18 again as they're 18 and they're out of the house and you can, you know, make animal noises. So yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting here. Um, I, yeah, I'll have to follow up with some of my friends that have, you know, been through that recently. Uh, it makes sense. It's like you've graduated. You're like, yes, success. We did it. Mm-hmm. And now they're in, now they're in university or wherever mm-hmm. they may end up and it may not mm-hmm. be. Yeah. So there's a bit of sadness and that's not, you know, some, some parents really are sad and they are sad for a while. And that, that's, that's one, one potential uh, outcome. Right. And then the other outcome is, you know, slightly elevated levels of life satisfaction and happiness as life becomes simpler and time becomes more available to do those things that we've maybe not been able to do as much of or have had to put aside for the really beautiful, beautiful um, role of parenting yeah. hands-on. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's a really good share. Thanks for, um, yeah, thanks for that, Todd. Great. And we'll talk again soon. Right on. Okay, man. Thanks for joining us this week on Dad Without Borders. A full list of episodes can be found at dadwithoutborders.com. And for updates, follow on Instagram at dadwithoutborders. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Google, or radio.com. While you're at it, if you enjoyed listening or you know any dads that might find value in this show, please share the podcast with your friends. Dad Without Borders will be back next week with another dad and further insights with Todd Kettner.